Hello and welcome to the Ballot Box Global Election Coverage from a team of political scientists. I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Besser in New York City. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the ballot box. So this week we are returning to a country which we've discussed a, a few times before, um, back to Mexico, um, to talk about the recall referendum which was held recently, um, which was a, a very bizarre contest that came about through a bizarre way and was conducted in a very bizarre way. It's just a, a very generally very um, unusual um, election for us to discuss. But yeah, so we are we are sans Chris today. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it for work reasons. So I will just ask you, Andres, how is things? Um, how is um, Bogota. Good. Uh, Bogota is still incredibly rainy and cold, but it's been really exciting being here and doing field work. So yes, it's it's good. It's good. How about you? How's everything in London? Good. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, London is is not cold and rainy. It's actually been very unseasonably warm um, for the past um, sort of week or so. Um, so yeah, it's all right. And had a nice sort of long Easter weekend, not doing very much. Um, back at work now. Um, I'm reminded of this New Yorker cartoon where two people are walking in the park and uh, one of them says it's 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 warm enough to enjoy the weather without it being so warm that we have to uh, have climate anxiety. So, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that this is maybe what you're going through. Yeah, we're um, just getting to the start of the period of the year where I'm like it'd be normal to have it this weather. So yeah. Well, this kind of weather in like January, February, as it happens occasionally now, is freaky and, and concerning. But now it's just us. It's quite nice. <laughs> okay. All right. So we should turn to this um, this referendum now. Um, so yeah, on the tenth of April, um, which was when we discussed the the French uh, presidential elections, which is why we've got a little bit of a delay on this one. Um, Mexico held the first presidential recall vote. Um, so this was to see whether the president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, and um, we'll refer to his AMLO from here on out, um, I think um, was going to remain in office or not. It's, and uh, unusually, AMLO has called this referendum himself um, as well. Needless to say, they, it passed in terms of the voters who turned out very overwhelmingly. Um, 93% of them approved him staying in office. Um, however, only 17.8% turned out. Um, so this does not, and, and they had a 40% threshold which needed to be re- reached to um, to validate the results. So this has um, ended up being a whole lot of nothing at the end of the day. So yeah, maybe we should start off. Why has this referendum happened? Like, what's the journey to this vote? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's it's so it's so bizarre because you get like the incumbent president calling for his own recall vote. Um, and then the opposition calling for people to not turn out mostly, um, rather than to turn out and vote to kind of try to remove him, um, partially because he's so popular. So, Mex- so, so Mexico is a presidential system um, where the president has an outsized role. Uh, it, it has been for, for a very long time. And um, Mexico has a very long presidential term of six years without any re-election. Um, I think it's probably after Venezuela, which has a seven year presidential term, it's the probably the longest presidential term along with other countries um, in presidential systems. So obviously where, where the president is, is only like a, a symbolic figurehead or something, um, 
the terms might be longer. And AMLO, AMLO campaigned in 2018, um, part of his campaign promises was that he was going to submit, su submit himself to a, to a recall vote um, towards, the mid, towards the middle of his presidency. So this was a campaign promise. And in 2019, um, the, um, the pro-AMLO, so the, his, his party is called Morena, the Morena-dominated Congress passed a constitutional legal reform that created the process of the recall vote. Um, you need 3% of, uh, of the voters role to sign um, a kind of uh, a letter of intent or kind of or express that you would want uh, a recall vote to happen. Um, that's part of the constitutional setup. And once once uh, the Electoral Institute audits and make sure that make sure that the, that 3% of the vote is authentic, that 3% of this of the voters role um, is authentic. Um, the the recall vote is triggered. So, in in this case, um, it's pretty clear that uh, Amlo's Amlo's uh, party Morena was behind collecting the signatures because he was intent on being submit subjected to a recall vote. And so, when the Electoral Institute audited the three percent of the signatures, um, they found some pretty fishy stuff including lots of people who when called um, and asked, so there's like a random, a randomly selected group of, 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 of signature signatories who were then like called and asked if they, if they had indeed signed this kind of document of intent. And a lot of people said that they hadn't, which means that maybe there was some foul play there. But um, it's very hard to make the case that Signatures were indeed like fraudulent on a massive scale. So even though there were lots of fishy situations, um, the Electoral Institute decided that it should go through anyway. Um, I guess the other part to, to understand is um, that Me Mexican campaign laws are very strict. And so the recall vote in, in the constitution is designed without a period of campaigning. So in Mexico, campaigns can only last nine, uh, 90 days, so thir uh, three months. There's very strict limits on who can provide money, how much money can be spent per campaign. Um, there's, there's, a, there's, a very, there's a constitutional prohibition on buying um, radio or TV advertisement. And additionally, and this became a very important part of the recall vote, can, um, kind of the lead up to the recall vote, public servants, are forbidden from meddling in elections or campaigning in favor or against any candidate or party. Therefore, it's illegal to campaign. It, it, it's illegal for um, it, it's illegal even for like the president himself to call for voting in the recall election. Right. This, I guess, the history of this prohibition is actually also related to AMLO. The first time he ran for president in two thousand and six when he lost by 0.5% and he staged like this massive protest that uh, kind of put Mexico in a, in it's probably like its deepest political crisis in recent times. Many public servants, including the president at the time, who was the first democratically elected president, Fox, campaigned against AMLO. And there was no explicit prohibition for public servants uh, to not campaign. So that was included in the constitution as a way of appeasing AMLO um, and appeasing AMLO's followers so that never again could a president meddle in campaigns. And now AMLO, 
um, what is it, 14 years later, a little bit more than 14, 15 years, 16 years later, has now broken that same very rule that he pushed to get put in the constitution, which adds an extra layer of, of surreal, um, of the surreal onto this already bizarre exercise. The, the constitution also, also, um, uh, also says that you need a 40% turnout, turnout, turnout to make the result legally binding, which is a very high bar for Mexico because Mexico has a very um, accurate voters role. So over like 95% of eligible voters are registered to vote. Um, and given migration to the United States, there's a large chunk of eligible voters who really can't vote in national elections. Um, and also uh, there's, you know, apathy, et cetera. So you get like, you get like 50% turnout in, in federal elections. When federal elections coincide, when you get like presidential uh, Congress and also governor elections coinciding on the same day, then you get like 56, maybe even up to 60% turnout. But 40% turnout is actually very, is, it, it is a pretty high bar in, Mex in Mexico, but it's not impossible to reach. So recall vote obviously became very, very controversial. Um, why is this basically like what's 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 gone on during this campaign? Yeah, I, I think that there were two main reasons. The first was that AMLO began um, promoting it in his daily press conferences, which which went against the Constitution and this prohibition, right, that I've already talked about. Um, and then uh, congressmen and women of, of his party and governors of his party also began campaigning in in favor of 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 like people turning out and voting to to support AMLO, right? Um, so there was there was clearly an infringement of the electoral law, and and what what makes it ironic was that this law is obviously it, it came in it came into like the strict campaign laws in Mexico are partially the product of AMLO's two thousand six um, uh, kind of controversy, right? But they still went against it, and then second. And, and this is what's become, I think, this might be like the, the, ma the main legacy of this vote, that is that the Morena-controlled Congress slashed the Electoral Institute's budget by about 30%, um, the year when it had to organize the recall vote, which it was not contemplated in its budget, right? So, so the Electoral Institute asked for a higher budget, but it still got slashed compared to its regular budget. So like the actual missing part, missing money was over 30%. So the Electoral Institute decided that it would shelve the recall vote um, until it had money to organize it properly. And so that made AMLO very angry and he publicly attacked the Electoral Institute for having, um, in, in, in his mind, they were sabotaging his recall vote. So um, this was put to the Supreme Court because con uh, Congress, which is controlled by uh, AMLO's party, um, took it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said that the Electoral Institute had to organize the recall vote with the money it had. So what ended up happening was that the Electoral Institute organized the recall vote, but set up only 33% of polling stations, 33% um, th of what it would generally set up. Now, um, 
I think that 33% was still pretty decent because there was a study that suggested that over 90% of voters only had to travel about um, at most half an hour to vote. While in Mexico, um, polling stations are usually very, very close because there's many, there, there's tons of them, which is one of the reasons why elections are so costly in Mexico. So you usually only have to like um, travel maybe, I don't know, you can walk to your polling station generally, unless you live in very in a very isolated place. And now maybe you had to like take a bus or or walk more, but it wasn't like the like the six blocks away that it, it usually is um, in urban dense and like in, in densely populated urban areas. So when the Electoral Institute decided that it would only put up like a third of the of the polling stations because it didn't have enough money, AMLO and other AMLO um, supporters started attacking the Electoral Institute and saying that, that they were sa sabotaging this like exercise. And it's made it a very tense situation. And AMLO has actually, and, and some of his supporters have now said that they that they that they're going to try and, and pass a, an electoral reform that would um, that would firstly uh, sack the the heads of the electoral institute, and then secondly that it would reform the electoral institute in lots of ways, which when when there's a single party that dominates Congress in the way that Morena does obviously alerts the opposition and you know into thinking that the electoral reform might kind of um bake in electoral um uh what do you call it advantages right um and then there was i mean in this kind of like um in this kind of struggle between between um morena amlo and the electoral institute the electoral institute kept on warning morena that it was breaking the law by by publicly supporting the recall vote and so the Morena-controlled Congress passed a very dubious parliamentary act saying that the constitutional prohibition on not campaigning on behalf of public servants actually didn't apply in the case of the recall vote. Um, and then this was put to the Supreme, to the Electoral uh, Tribunal, which struck this down and promptly said, like, no, it actually does apply. But they still did it anyway, and public servants close to AMLO continued violating the law on a massive scale and calling for people to vote. There is also propaganda that flooded the country. Um, there were there were billboards and um, like posters around the country um, incentivizing people, you know, ca calling for people to vote and, and to keep AMLO in power. We don't know where this propaganda came from or who paid for it. It's illegal. And the Electoral Institute has begun uh, several uh, investigations into where the money came from and who paid for it. Whoever did will be fined. And you know this is obviously in contravention of the constitution. But so, um, you know, so, so like the lead up to the vote itself was, was it saw like the party in power uh, violate the law um, and clash with the Electoral Institute. So it was not, you know, it was it was actually very tense. I think um, it's also true that voters. I think like like I think it's also true that it was also very kind of an elite, a kind of elite uh, polarization. So in like in Twitter, you saw tons of like Mexican intellectuals take a very strong position, either in favor of the recall vote and against the Electoral Institute or against AMLO and uh, kind of like saying, you know, they're violating the, the, the very law that they wanted passed in 2006. 
and that they were, you know, that this was this clear sign of, of backsliding in Mexico. So things became very heated and polarized at the elite level. I'm not sure if regular citizens actually took the, had like time to like kind of pick out and understand what was happening because it was, it was pretty confusing. Um, and, and maybe that's also why so many people actually didn't show up to vote because um, like the polarization didn't seep into like the general population. I'm not sure. Okay, so what was the, the well, so it, it probably shouldn't really spend much time analyzing the results given that they were so lopsided, but what I'm kind of interested in knowing about is what the sort of significance of, of the result being this way is in like just so lopsided and so low turnout. It, it, should we view this as a victory for AMLO, a defeat, or is it just really just nothing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, A, this was a test to see how many voters AMLO counts on kind of um, unconditionally. How many unconditional voters does AMLO have? And I think that that's the people who turned out and voted for in favor of AMLO to remain um, in power, right? So that's about 15 million voters. Um, yes, 15 million? Yes, 15 million voters who are his like very hardcore. And that's the 93% who voted for him to remain. That's significant because AMLO actually got a chance to test what mobilizing um, public resources and mobilizing vote the vote from his uh, from his pulpit in his like daily news conferences because he has a daily news conference that lasts like two hours which is incredibly um, unfocused and and odd um, although some people say it's an a great exercise in like government accountability and transparency so but anyway what can you get when you mobilize AMLO voters well you'll at least get 15 million. Now, that is not a small figure, um, considering that um, in, in, in other elections, presidents have won with about that number of votes. Um, a little bit more. They need, I think, the, the, I think Peña Nieto won with like 18 million. So you only need 3 million extra votes to win. So that's actually not, I mean, that's not insignificant. Um, I think the second uh, lesson is that there was already a, there was already a weird referendum that happened a year ago, which we also covered on the po podcast, which was a question that asked whether or not the government should should uh, should uh, investigate the corruption of past presidencies, and there was only a seven percent turnout that time that time around, and so I think Amlo and his followers who didn't, at the time, they didn't mobilize votes in this kind of like massively um, kind of illegal way. They realized that they needed, they need more muscle, right? And, and that they could actually do it. Now, the, the massive violations to campaign laws are also a test. They're a test to see how much AMLO and his followers can get away with. And so, Right now, there's two different kind of, um, I think there's two different judgments, right? One is like the Electoral Institute will now have to fine public servants and they can slap like a pretty high fine in monetary terms, um, but they don't 
they probably can't do anything beyond like a yeah like a monetary fine um they like the electoral tribunal so it would, it would need to become a judicial um procedure a penal procedure which could happen if there's like enough evidence and i think that there is where like public servants could actually be put in jail if they were found to have massively violated electoral law but that's not going to happen because um amlo kind of won the public narrative um in a way and so it'd be incredibly unpopular for the electoral institute to pursue this so it's basically defanged the electoral institute which part of the whole part of the whole mexican electoral model consists in having a very um a very powerful electoral management body that makes sure that 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 candidates and parties stick to very strict campaign laws so that there isn't undue influence from uh like uh very rich people and private interests and also that to mitigate incumbent advantage which is one of the reasons why AMLO could win in 2018 with such a massive vote because the electoral Mexican electoral laws limited incumbent advantage and also limited private interests influence but now that they're the incumbents they've managed to in a way unpick part of those um part of those locks so um yeah but electorally speaking it i think it is kind of sound and fury signifying nothing the results are they're really like yeah beyond this kind of these kind of tests these kind of like i don't know repercussions towards the future the election itself had really no effect okay i suppose um this is a very bizarre event so dudes tend to think sort of scrambling to think of are there any sort of comparative examples that we could think of to this do we know of any other examples where presidents have tried to uh call a recall vote on themselves um is this something that's happened elsewhere yeah so i think that there are two very pertinent comparisons one was in 2004 when hugo chavez in 2004 in venezuela when hugo chavez um faced a recall vote that was actually organized by the opposition he won it um with about 59% of of the of the of the vote and that really empowered him and it's um i think it empowered him to to then eventually change the constitution um and he won that and then i think even more pertinent is that evo morales um proposed his own recall vote in 2007 although in bolivia voting is mandatory and you get fined if you don't vote so when the election when, when the recall vote was held in 2008 in 2008 there was an 83% turnout and he won massively um which also kind of like uh, there was a there was a bubbling crisis between evo morales and the opposition and this helped to i think to reinforce his 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 kind of hold onto the presidency and to salvage that crisis um so so i think when it comes to recall votes there is this kind of first mover advantage so when it already exists in the constitution incumbents have a huge incentive to organize it themselves and to push for it themselves so that they choose the time at which it's happening um amlo is obviously very popular and he knows this 
and public opinion polls kind of bear this out, right? I think had had his had his popularity waned, he would not have organized it, right? And he wouldn't have pushed for it. Um, what's really bizarre in this case, though, is that he was the one he was the one who pushed for it to, to be part of the constitution. So it didn't exist before his presidency, which is weird, right? So if it's already there, your, your incentive as the incumbent is to, is to push for it. Um, but if it's not already there, um, why would you, you know, why would you pass that law? Some people have speculated and I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know on, under what basis you can speculate this, but some people have speculated that this is AMLO's way of influencing subsequent presidents. Because you need a 3%, um, you need 3% of the signa sig sig uh, signatories, right? 3% of the voters will need to sign for this vote to be triggered. People suspect or have speculated that once he steps down from office after, you know, once, once his, his presidential term is over, he will be able to influence the next president by threatening a recall vote. Because he 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 will remain a very popular figure, and he will remain he you know he'll at least he'll command much more than three percent of the voters will. So he'll he'll be able to trigger the recall vote, um, just by you know by dint of his personal um, charisma and followers. So some people have speculated that he wanted this in the constitution as a kind of long term strategy to make sure that that the next president um, had that he has some leverage over the next president. In Mexican politics, the informal informal rule has always been since like since the end of the Mexican Revolution um, that uh, ex presidents just fade away. They kind of they either leave the country or they they retire to a very quiet life, and they don't continue influencing politics. Um, this might change. I think Amlo's kind of the sort of president who's broken a lot of norms um, and traditions. So this might be one of them, and that you know that that could be that could be the case. I'm not sure though. I'm not sure if that's if that it's if that's actually what's going to happen. Okay. Um, do we have anything left that we want to raise on this? Okay. All right. Um, no, I don't think so. All right. Um, okay. Maybe we'll we'll wrap up there um, for today. So. Uh, a nice uh, shorter instalment of the of the ballot box um, for a change, um, but getting ready for obviously next week we'll be coming back with um, with the the second round of the French elections, uh, which is going to be uh, hopefully good news. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, my yeah. God, that's a very scary election. Wow. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, um, so that that will be that will be the the next time we see you, and then there's also the Slovenian elections to cover as well, so another uh, a breather before another busy few weeks. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. So uh, also goodbye to everyone. Please rate and subscribe wherever you're listening, and we'll see you soon. All right. Bye.